wherever you are on campus. This is the University of Bath, URB. Hello, you're listening to the They Think It's All Over podcast. Indeed, it's our final ever podcast or radio show or broadcast of any type. We've got a bumper episode for you packed with the latest football news and debate, as well as some fun and games at the end of the show as we celebrate nearly three years producing this on University Radio Bath and what a journey it's been. From humble beginnings all the way up to a nomination for an SRA award, it's really been quite a ride and I hope you've been able to enjoy it with us along the way. This is the final time I get to say this, so thank you so much for listening. My name is Owen Mizer, and this is They Think It's All Over. They think it's all over. It is now. It's more. Joining me for one final time on the podcast today is, of course, Arsenal superfan David Morgan. All right, mate. Doing better than last podcast. <laughs> yeah, much better for you and Arsenal compared to a month ago. And we've also got uh, Manchester United glory hunter Matthew Dawes on the show. Disgrace. You're right, mate. How's it going? <laughs> and of course, someone who didn't understand the offside rule before 2009. <laughs> it's Man City Ultra, Scott Hyron. How's it going? All, all of our clubs doing better than the month ago, to be fair. Yeah, yeah all, all on the up. I think uh, Swansea up from third to second. City, Pep seemed to have got his marbles back. United title challenges, and uh, Arsenal no longer facing relegation. <laughs> it's a wonderful feeling. Well, uh, welcome to the show again, boys. What a journey it's been over the last few years. Later in the show, I think we'll have a chat about some of uh, the greatest moments from they think it's all over from down the years. So, have a think about your favourite episodes, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Uh, I want to start off by talking about a common subject over the last few months. Uh, All the nations of the UK are back in a full lockdown. But in contrast to the March lockdown, uh, football is carrying on almost uh, as normal, which is a bit odd, I think. But we we carried on. And uh, my question is to you, boys, is this morally right? I think it was Steve Bruce who came out the other day and said, yeah, we we need it for the finances to keep the TV deals going. But with everyone else stuck at home, is it right that football players can carry on, you know, pretty much as normal? What, what, what do you boys think? Yeah, I, th- I think, for me, football has been a great sort of distraction from what's going on with the world. And I think a lot of, a lot of people in this country sort of share that view as well. Um, it's really helped them sort of get through, sort of obviously mental health is obviously a massive issue currently with obviously the, the pandemic. And just having that hour and a half to support the team is, I think, really useful. Um, so I think I think on a personal standpoint, I think it's it's good that it is sort of still going. Maybe there needs to be more done. I think obviously players are flouting the rules, which is obviously a disgrace. So maybe more things need to be brought in to prevent that from happening. But as a, as a whole thing, I'm I'm happy that football is still here. And for me, for me, I, I think it's I think it's okay. Yeah, I, I thought the most interesting thing was obviously the big increase in positive tests we've seen in the Premier League. They've reverted back to that twice a week testing. I think we had. 40 positive tests in the last round of testing so you know that's that's not insignificant and it does beg the question if you know there's that that many positive tests it's, it's obviously right rife in the squads mm. so is it right that these players can still go out on the pitch you know after a few days getting a positive test it's, it's a tough one isn't it obviously it's at the moment obviously it's getting very 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 grim sort of situation in the uk obviously the case is going through the roof um 
I thought it was really interesting to see hear what um, Sean Dyche actually said um, about the possibility of actually vaccinating the players, um, which will obviously prevent all this positivity test and stuff like that. Obviously, there needs to be a distribution network set up because at the moment there's not enough vaccines for everyone and we need to obviously prioritise the vulnerable and NHS workers and teachers and police, of course. But I thought it was a really good idea and it got a lot of criticism. Um, and I'm not... I can see obviously why obviously people thought, oh, why should footballers get get these sort of priorities over over the people? But I just want to know what you boys think about the whole sort of vaccinating the players sort of ordeal. I think it would get rid of that sort of key issue of players going out with positive tests if they all are vaccinating. Yeah, I can see I can see where Daesh is coming from on it because in the scheme of the vaccination, the number of footballers that you need to do is is an insignificant drop. But morally, it's not right for them to get it um, before anyone who's even slightly vulnerable to the vi- to dying from the virus. For example, I'd be okay with um, footballers getting the vaccine before me because yeah. I'm obviously in one of the lowest risk groups that there is in existence for it. Um, but you know, no one they shouldn't be getting it before anyone in that sort of over fifties or vulnerable category because then you're effectively prioritising football over someone's life, which is just never right. Yeah, I completely agree with David. I think, um, like you said, the minuscule number of footballers, um, like it, it wouldn't be that much of a dent really in terms of the number of vaccines, but obviously the prioritisation of of those that do need it is important. But I, I think it, it's, it's hard to say at what kind of stage you you then prioritise it. Do you say, okay, everyone under four, like after you've done everyone over 50 or 40 or whatever, do you then give it to the footballers? But I think when you consider how much they actually interact and are involved in doing things, I think everyone else's lives, like all of ours are very um, like sort of different. We're kind of staying home and not really interacting very much. So I think from a practical point of view, it does make sense. But also if, like Daesh says, the money that would be used for testing were to go to the NHS, for example. Um, I mean, it could be like a nice little boost, I suppose, because I suppose that money's, it's probably not cheap testing uh, twice a week. No, exactly. Um, that money could be maybe quite beneficial, whether it was on a local standpoint to like, I don't know, local uh, hospitals or whatever, or if it was generally to the NHS for them to do whatever they want with. I wonder, boys, are you, are you thinking more on a sort of national scale, maybe like once all the over 80s or over 70s have had it in the UK? that maybe then footballers could have it or you know do we need to think more widely like what about you know we're talking about millions of people worldwide who could be vulnerable to this disease think about you know continents uh, africa south america asia which you know aren't really first in line for the vaccine right now but should we be thinking about their people first before it comes to the footballers in the uk i mean i suppose that's a very <laughs> I mean, it's a very tough big question. It's a tough question because I think you've also got to consider that we'll probably get the vaccine before many vulnerable people around the world. So I don't think that argument really applies to just footballers. I think that argument applies to uh, many people around the world. Um, I mean, us here in the UK and people in the States and uh, in Europe as well, they'll all get first pickings of the vaccine, even the 20 year olds like us sort of ourselves. Um, but 80-year-olds and vulnerable people in not so like looked after uh, countries and stuff just aren't going to get the look in, I'm afraid. And that's. You think that there should be a, a change in policy there? Should it should we be looking more fundamentally, I guess, beyond football to 
to change that and vaccinate vulnerable people around the world first? I mean, I, I, I suppose yes, but I mean, <laughs> I suppose it goes to an issue. It's a bit beyond football, really. It's a bit, it's a bit <laughs> yeah, hard yeah. to. It would take a long time to kind of think about a, a good route out of the uh, the pandemic as a uh, as a whole sort of worldwide community. And I don't think, as a football expert or as a self proclaimed football expert, which I'm not, <laughs> I, gotta, um, I was going to say we're going to fact check that. <laughs> As, as someone that really likes football, I, I don't think I've got much to comment in terms of how the rollout should be across the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I think it's just interesting. I think we've got to take it into the wider account. It is like a pandemic at the end of the day. You know, I'm not suggesting yeah. that it's a potential route out, but I think football is just a very small part of it at the end of the day, isn't it? And we've got to think about the wider global picture. Yeah, you do have to think about that. But also... In, within the UK, vaccinating people who are not necessarily vulnerable obviously helps with the, the aim towards getting herd immunity from it to protect those in the vulnerable category that yeah, yeah. can't get vaccinated. So there's also that that side of the argument of you do need to prioritise pe- people in those younger categories to protect those who are vulnerable. Any thoughts, Dawes? I think, you know, obviously I agree with majority of what, what the boys are saying there that it's it's all about how much vaccines we've got I guess obviously the UK has ordered, ordered loads of different things and then there's a, the third vaccine that's just been sort of approved now as well so I think there'll be a quite a big supply for it hopefully over the coming weeks and months um, in terms of sort of the global sort of helping more vulnerable people from across the world I mean that's more of a question for Boris Johnson really rather than <laughs> for us I mean it's obviously it'd be nice to sort of help out those people but I think a lot of, I guess, a lot of British people would be thinking, can we just get it sort of sorted out? And I think the more countries that do sort of get it sorted out as quick as possible, the better, really, obviously. So then we sort of travel to other countries, which could help their sort of tourism industry, which obviously been massively impacted because of this pandemic as well. So there's a lot of sort of stakes at play. But I think what Daesh was saying makes sense from a sort of point of view of if they do put the money sort of used to testing, because obviously it's twice a week, all the players, all the staff, it must be so expensive and sort of using so many resources to do that. Having yeah, I think it's about money, £100 a test. Yeah, exactly. I mean, about... you know, that's a lot of money every week going into these testing, um, which would obviously then not be necessary if all the players get vaccinated. But it's such a big debate. But I thought it was very interesting what, what Dice was saying. And I think the backlash was quite undeserved for me. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of politics at play here but his his overall views and his thoughts I think make sense and I'd agree with what he was saying that once obviously all the vulnerable etc I mean for me I'd rather the players get it ahead of me for example um, who's not you know in the vulnerable category to make sure that football can continue which as I said earlier is a massive boost to sort of the mental health of everyone in this country. Mm. Well back to the football then uh, obviously in the last podcast we spoke a lot about Arsenal looking like relegation candidates. And I said at the time, I think, well, I wonder if we'll see them in the bottom three come January. But in fact, we've had a complete turnaround and Arsenal now are moving on at the table and, and six points off the top four. I mean, is, is Europe even a possibility now, Roddy? Any other season, I'd say no. But this season, it's, you know, I think I think something it's something like no team has won more than three games in a row this season. So, like, everyone's uh, – sorry, no, four, four, four games in a row. I correct myself. Um, so, no team has ever 
sort of put together a consistent run of form, which and some some teams are you know really struggling for form in that top four area. Um, even the top six would be questionable, but you know we're really turning it around at the moment, and hopefully, can next few fixtures not easy, but it's do- wins are doable. I mean, we're only halfway through the season and we've seen six points get turned around in in the last few games before. So there's a long way to go. I think you've got as good a chance as anyone. Yeah, we'll have to, obviously we'll have to see how we, how we perform uh, in our next few games. But if we can get some, some wins there, then I think we'll be right back up there. Potentially could overtake Chelsea given their current run of form, which is just embarrassing for them (laughs) considering 200 million down the drain. (laughs) For me, there's probably just too many teams that are better than Arsenal. I think not. Not. I mean, not just in terms of form. I think Arsenal were in uh, probably the joint best form in the league at the minute, considering the last three games. But I mean, it's just so many good teams in that sort of top six, top seven at the minute, and so many like which we've discussed in the past, which have sort of come out of nowhere almost, like Southampton and Villa as well. But I mean, I, I mean, Liverpool, United, Leicester, Tottenham, City. Southampton, Villa. I still think even Chelsea are all finish above Arsenal. There's so, so many teams, I think, that they have to battle it out for to get, I suppose, the top seven, to be fair, will probably get Europe. But it's there's just too many teams. But, I mean, they're in the fight. But it's just such a hard fight, I think, at the minute. And they're, like, three points behind, or nine, six points behind, with, but they played an extra game, so... Well, what do you say. think was the, the, the catalyst for change at Arsenal? Because, obviously, they were on such a dismal run, and then... It seems like they were with a few injuries and people out with due to COVID reasons, and I had to play some some kids. Uh, I can't remember who who was it. Was it against Chelsea a couple of weeks ago? Where it Chelsea play... was, the, was the revolution, really. Um, yeah, the Hale, the, the Hale boys are, are doing the club proud. You know, they're playing for the badge, and they're they're really they're really shining. You know, Smith Rowe has been an absolute revelation for us creatively. He's making those those runs and passes into the pockets of space that we've been crying out for. You know, players we've had midfielders in there, and then you can you just see that they're not they're not feeding the Abemiang when he makes a good run and stuff. And I have to talk about Saka as well because he is he's throughout this season he's been a sort of shining light for Arsenal fans. Even when we were playing poorly, you know, he was always our best player. He was. But unfortunately, he's not he's not quite at a level where he can just do it alone and carry a team that was playing as poorly as we were. But, you know, they've just all the all the young players have really stepped up and are putting most lots of the senior players to shame. Doors, what do you think this means for uh, Mikel Arteta? Because obviously there was a lot of Arteta out merchants coming out, you know, just a month, two months ago. But uh, now he looks like the saviour once again. I mean, obviously, you've seen it at your club. Oli in, Oli out, Oli in, Oli out. What, what do you think of Arteta's job at the moment? I mean, I think I've always liked Arteta. I think he's, he's got the foundation of a really good manager. And he just needs, he needs, he needs time, you know. He's had no opportunities to sort of bring in the players he wants. And even when he did in Partey, he's been injured all season. So, he, he has to be given time. And the resources he needs, obviously... From up top, he has to be given some money to sort of spend on that squad. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's been amazing that the youngsters have come through and sort of performed so well. But the fact that needs to happen is pretty, pretty almost embarrassing for the owners of Arsenal that 
their sort of big money signings aren't doing it, that they have to rely on the academy boys. Um, so I think Arteta just needs time and the backing that, for me, he deserves. I mean, he won the FA Cup last, yeah. last summer. Um, obviously had a bad, bad start to the season, but he started to turn it around. And you can see the, the sort of the ideas of his play, especially over the last few weeks. He sort of had some extremely good results. Obviously, the Chelsea result was great, but the Brighton one where they sort of won 1-0, you know, the, the scrappy wins, and then did batter West Brom as well. So they're sort of putting results together that aren't the same performance every time. They're sort of digging in deep against the big teams, picking up a really good good win away from home, and then playing some brilliant football in that West Brom win as well. I think exactly, he needs time and he needs money, and hopefully the Arsenal board can actually get him the resources that he needs. Yeah, they are starting to back him because obviously Partey was on deadline day and that was sort of, you know, like the board finally decided that he needed that money and his signings have all been really solid. Like Pablo Mari as well has been an absolute, he's been great for us at centre-back and he he was uh, another cheap steal from Flamengo and another interesting product of the Man City Academy that was let go because he couldn't get game time. <laughs> There's so many of them, aren't there, these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, on to um, the other clubs of uh, you boys, United and, and City. We mentioned at the top of the show, both doing very well um, along alongside Arsenal. A bit of resurgence all, all around in the, in the podcast. Um, we always say how oh, we don't want Liverpool to win the league again after the disgrace that was BT, Sky Sports, BBC, oh, all, yeah. all after them, all, all the papers loving it. But, you know, that's the last thing you want to see again. And I think really... United, are they our best hope for to challenge Liverpool for the title now? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I personally think it is City, but I'm honestly loving loving everything to do with this title challenge. I, I, I personally don't think we will win it, but the fact so that you, we're you, you think it's a title challenge, you, you confirm it is a title challenge. I, I mean, it has to be at this point, you know. If, if we win our game and on Wednesday, which we'll probably bottle, but if we win that, we go three points clear going into the Anfield game, which is obviously massive. Suddenly, we win at Anfield with six points at the six points clear. Like I can't remember the last time we it was six points clear in January. It must have been <laughs> 2013 or something. It is. And the fact that what I love most about this is the saltiness from rival fans, especially Liverpool fans, making compilations of all the penalties we've been getting. Jurgen Klopp mentioning us in every single press conference. It's it's good to be back, you know, in that sort. Of, I mean, because what the last few seasons we've been what fifth, sixth, all this nonsense, but. It's so good to be back. And even Mourinho's mentioning us in his press conference for, an, for an, a Carlin Cup title. I mean, come on. That really shows that we're sort of getting to the heads. And I really, really hope that at Anfield we get a 99th minute penalty, which Bruno Fernandes scores. It'd just be the best best day of my life, I think. I've got to say, Six minutes Lord, of extra time. it's so, so good yeah. to hear you, your voice happy again. Like We've had months <laughs> of years mopey doors in the studio like you say fifth place sixth place eighth place even it's so good to have the good old doors back again it's, it's all it's it puts a smile on my face watching united these days i mean last night was shocking but we got the win but over these last few weeks it's just been so entertaining i think that's that's what i love about football is watching a game that really is entertaining we've been two nil down against sides we've come back dominated teams we won three or four nil the game against Villa the other day, the last-minute block from Eric Bailly was just unbelievable. I mean, I probably lost three or four years off my life expectancy these last few weeks, but 
it's worth every <laughs> it's worth every minute. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and let's let's hope we can get. Obviously, it's the biggest week of our season coming up: the Burnley game and the Anfield game. Four points from those two games, and I think we're right in the mix. Yeah, looking really good for Manchester United. Uh, well, across the city uh, to the Etihad and. Scott, I think City really have had a, a struggle to uh, score some goals this season, but starting to put it together now, Pep putting the marbles back in his head. Um, I, I thought I'd like to hear a comment from you on uh, an interesting piece of gossip I saw in the papers the other day about potential signing of Harry Kane to solve your uh, goal-scoring worries. Perhaps uh, with Aguero back from injury, they could form a little partnership up top? I, I don't see it happening personally. I think... Um... Harry Kane's probably destined to to be at uh, Spurs in all honesty. I, I don't see us getting him. I'd rather get someone of a younger profile, uh, someone that is an absolute machine. It has to be Haaland's we've got to go for, I think, just like many other clubs want. Uh, but his dad played for City. He's been seeing the City shirt when he was a young lad. Oh, I know that doesn't always oh, mean no. that players going to sign. There's been plenty. I mean, look at, was it Jamie Carragher? Played, was an Everton fan back in the day, still, but an Everton fan. still is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I think in terms of City in general, I, I've always said for the last few months that the defence is fine. We're we're looking as solid as ever, in my opinion. Ruben Diaz and John Stones have got an unbelievable partnership. I I, I don't remember a better City partnership probably since I don't know probably Company and Lescott to be fair because those two are brilliant together. Richard Dunn, <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, maybe before that, but Mendy and Mangala, mate, they're the boys, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's like ninety million pounds ahead. But we we potentially got potentially have the company um, sort of replacement in Ruben Diaz. I, I he's just transformed us in a way I couldn't even imagine would happen. So in terms of that, we're fine, and I think we're starting to finally go through the gears and actually see us score goals again. I mean, too impressive. Uh, displays at Stamford Bridge and then at uh, Old Trafford as well. I think that's got to put us well, probably as favourites at this stage. Um, Do you know what the key all... difference has been, Hiron? Phil Foden's played in those two games. <laughs> uh, the prisoner's yeah, been released. You've got to release the prisoner and now he has and he's been absolutely brilliant as we all know he was going to be. You no, know? no, 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 of, of course. I, I think... I think having, say, um, obviously Bernardo didn't play against uh, United, but I think him and Bernardo being in our team in general, it just adds so much uh, like fluidity to the attack. It just make like, it's just so unpredictable being able to, even when we don't have a striker, we can still play false nine. And it makes it so difficult for teams to like know what's going on. Like Harry Maguire had no clue who to mark um, the other night. And I mean, it's he just, never does. I mean, he, <laughs> he never does. That's pathetic. But we're just... The fact that we're getting sort of unpredictable in attack again like we used to be, I, I do see us potentially being able to get a run of games where we can just win them, put pressure on the top teams and uh, and hopefully do well. And I, I think this is probably as good a balance as we've probably had in terms of attack and defence. Our, our defence hasn't been as good since uh, like under Pep. So it'd be nice to see where it can lead. Yeah, and obviously the next six games are favourable to say the least. I mean, it should be six wins for me. Looking at looking at the fixture list. Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd hope so. Um, there's a, there's always a slip up around the corner normally. You, you always expect one, but I think given the season that we're having, I I'd, I'd take five 
five wins and a draw at the next six, I'd be quite happy with. But um, I mean, ideally, you'd want to win all those games, but you just you just can't guarantee that. Especially one of them being Villa, who are at the minute a very good team. So um, you you can't say win all your games, but I suppose you've got to take it game by game and just do as well as you can and just hope that you uh, get the three points. Yeah. Do you think the postponed Everton game has helped you in a way? Obviously, you've had that extra few days off. Looked incredibly fresh against Chelsea, who looked like they were stuck in the mud for the first half. I mean, Chelsea were embarrassing, but <laughs> it looks like it's really given you that extra boost you needed. Maybe those few days rest, etc. might have helped you, but I don't know what, what your thoughts are. Um, I mean, Potentially. I, I think... I, I personally wanted that game to go. I mean, obviously, I, from a sort of COVID point of view and not really knowing who's got COVID and being careful and stuff, and that's Premier League's like Premier League's decision. Uh, it was right for that game to go like to postponed. But with Everton losing key players at that time, I think they had no Hammers, no Richarlison. I would love to have played them at that point because that those are some of the key players to them, and I think we would have probably won at Goodison Park on the on yeah. that day, but. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I think it's made us fresher. I think our, our Pep's hand's almost been forced in a way to play the team that he's been able to play. But I think now that he's seen what can happen with... I, I think that that should be it now for Phil Foden. I know we've obviously said all of the first part of the season that like he should be playing. And I completely agree. I think he's just trying to get, like instill a bit more football intelligence into him maybe. Um, of like when to maybe exert pressure at the same time. So he's still young. He's not. He's not the perfect player, and uh, and I think his position is like hasn't always been perfect. But I think he really is learning and is becoming one of our. He has, he has to start every game for me now, definitely. And um, yeah, it's it's just good to see us play good football for the first time this season. Yeah, has has uh, Pep found his marbles, or has COVID sort of picked them up and rammed them into his skull? <laughs> is a better question, really, because you know he he we can't say that City City's return to form is anything down to Pep. He, he his hand, as you said, was forced. It's now a question of is he is he humble enough to stick with this this winning formula that you've discovered, or is he going to revert back to putting Foden on the bench, giving him his eight minutes at the end? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think, to your first question, I think it's a bit of both, maybe. I think the the amount, the players that we have had available has maybe forced us hand slightly, but but no one knew, for example, at, at um, Stamford Bridge that Kevin De Bruyne was going to play a false nine. No one knew that was going to happen, right? And I think you have to put credit to the manager there for coming up with a winning formula that would sort of ultimately uh, give us the points that day. I mean, Kevin should have probably scored uh, before any of the uh, goals, uh, he had a very good chance, but ultimately scored. I think later in in the game, and um, and yeah, Phil Foden shined as well. And uh, but everyone else was brilliant. It was so fluid, and I think the manager has to get praise for that. So I, I think Phil was part of the um, has to be part of the plans now. And like if if he's he has to play all the big games, him maybe even Fernandinho as well because he was brilliant against United. It's it's oh, hard. Old man, but I think if you limit how much he plays over the season, I think he uh, he could still be a really key player for us. I think Rodri is brilliant for some of the less key games and certainly okay. takes us over. And Pep does trust him to some extent because he plays so much. But but Fernandinho also also brilliant as well. I think this probably be his last season maybe, but 
he could be a really key player for us in those big games. I got to agree with you there. I think if Foden plays week in, week out, then I think we're in for a really good title race this season. We've got, you know, four or five clubs in there with, with a shout of doing it. You know, you still can't discount Spurs and, and Leicester from there. So I think it's going to be a really good run in. Uh, looking further down the table, though, obviously still no win for Sheffield United on two points. Now the worst start to a top flight season in history. Obviously, they got the win in the uh, FA Cup this weekend, but. Is there any way back for them in the Premier League? It looks pretty dismal for them. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, the ships, the ships sunk. It was, it was so funny on Twitter. They obviously they after the win against in the FA Cup, um, they put a thing to Chris Wilder his hundredth win, and someone just put they must have had that in the drafts in September, and it's like, oh my, that's just pathetic, <laughs> isn't it? I think I read somewhere that. It would take them 10 seasons to reach 40 points if they kept on <laughs> with this current form. I mean, that's just... Wow. They've, they've been awful. Um, unlucky at times, to be fair to them. They've sort of lost games by the odd goal, a bit of luck going against them. But yeah, they're, they're gone. I mean, they're long Will it be gone. worse than the famous Derby County season? I mean, that was an awful Derby side, but... I mean, it's was not it 2007, good. was it 2007, 2008? 2007, 2008, yeah. I mean, it's not looking great for them, is it? Obviously, that Derby side did actually manage to win a game, so that's one one better than Sheffield at the moment. But I'm sure at some point they'll pick up some wins. But I'll be surprised if they end up with more than sort of 15 points this season. Mm. Well, on that FA Cup, obviously, I mean, again, the first win of the season. But there were some interesting uh, matchups elsewhere. Obviously, Chorley getting a win against uh, well, the aforementioned Derby County. Wayne Rooney, obviously, in charge there, and I thought. It did sort of show the dynamic. You know, you've got one Wayne in Wayne Rooney, 35 years old, retired, knocked out of the FA Cup by Chorley. And another Wayne, 36 years old, Wayne Routledge playing for Swansea and, and scoring to send us through to the fourth round. You, you love Routledge, mate. I, I think I've been, <laughs> like been around for 30 years. <laughs> club, club legend, mate. He's scored in 10 consecutive seasons for the Swans now. Jesus. That's all messy numbers, those, mate. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, obviously uh, the the big uh, fixture was Arsenal Newcastle last night, and a a good win for the arse in uh, in extra time there, Rod. Yeah, it was a tough game. They uh, Steve Bruce set up with the low block, and you know there were ten men behind the ball whenever we were attacking. But it, I think you know they had their moments where they were string together a few good chances. But the defence held and, well, the substitutes really changed the game. You know, bringing Smith-Rowe and Saka on, they completely changed the game and managed to get a nice 2-0 win in overtime, which was great. Yeah, we're recording this in, in the midst of all the fixtures. We've got Sunday's fixtures still to come. But obviously, Arsenal going through to the fourth round, you, you hope they're going to mount another challenge for the FA Cup. Obviously, it's uh, your favourite competition to win. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is. Um, the Carabao Cup, we we can't seem to do anything in, but the FA Cup, it's completely different. Maybe it's because Carabao yeah. Cup cities, mate. They win every year. Yeah, yeah I know. Man City yeah. Cup, mate. Nah, the Emirates FA Cup though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have you'll have Swansea to challenge you this year, I'm sure. As long as we don't get done by VAR again. Oh, <laughs> A five lop derby. Or the lack of. Yeah. The lack of VAR, exactly. Well, as it's the uh, the final episode of They Think It's All Over, I thought we'd go back to some of our 
well, what some of our favorite uh, pieces which we've done in the past and something which we did in the first lockdown was um, some games to keep us interested. Obviously, there wasn't much football going on, so we didn't have a lot to talk about. And one of the things we came across was unpopular opinion, where one of the uh, panel members comes in with something which is you know, not really that popular uh, opinion to hold in football and, and tried to convince the rest of us to agree. So I think we said, uh, if, if you can convince two out of the three of the others, then you, you've won for the week. So this week is finally uh, Scott Hyron's <laughs> turn after many, many months not being able to come up with an unpopular opinion. So Scott, well, what, what have you got for us and see if you can convince us to agree with you? No, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty short one, and uh, I mean, some may argue it's popular, some may argue it's unpopular. I, I don't think you can really say it's going to happen. So it's it's more of a thing. I think it's going to happen, uh, but I think that Phil Foden will be the next England player to win the Ballon d'Or. And I, and I think when you look at the um, the players that are currently sort of playing for England right now, I suppose you'd say probably the best English player right now is Jack Grealish. I don't. I, or Harry, Harry Kane. Kane. Or Harry Kane. I think they're both already sort of not. I mean, Grealish is still only twenty-five, but Phil Foden's still twenty, and I think he still has so much growth in him. Uh, and he's even now he's starting to become a really key member of our squad. But he scored like twenty-one goals in like ninety-four appearances, so he's already played ninety-four times for City. Okay, many of those are substitute appearances, but there are also a lot of starts there. And I think when you consider how Pep has looked at him as a player since he was 17, I think there's not many players that, say, Pep Guardiola, for example, has put on such a high pedestal as him. Uh, like He said he was incredible even at the age of 17 and that he would be a key player for us in the future. Um, and although it won't be, no, no one, in my opinion, will ever be good as Lionel Messi, I think he's one of those players that you can really see coming up to be uh, special in their time, so I I think he's got everything. He's got the goals. Um, he lo- he just loves football. He will not stop chasing the ball if he has to. He loves expressing himself. He loves scoring goals. He loves assisting. Um, he's so intelligent as well. I think he has got everything. And I think the the seeing him out muscle Kurt Zuma at, at Stamford Bridge was world class. I just loved watching that. Kurt Zuma should never be getting bullied by a 20-year-old kid, but he's still fish, mate. <laughs> and I, I, I love to see that. He's got absolutely everything, aggression, desire, I, and just all-round ability is top draw. The little flicks he can do, little one-twos. I, I, I honestly think he's got everything, and I don't think there's going to be an England player that will get it before he does, in my opinion. I don't, I don't disagree that he's going to be a world-class player. I think what we need to consider is the other players that could possibly win a Ballon d'Or. Yeah, like Haaland. I think Haaland, if he keeps his current rate of form, will win a Ballon d'Or at some point in his career. And there's, there's also the questions of, it, does this generation of English talent have it in them to win a Ballon d'Or? Are they ever going to truly be the best player in the world? Foden, depending on maybe if he moves on from City or something and he gets his consistent game time he needs... Rumours of Real Madrid, obviously. Um, he could, you know, make it into that sort of team of the year and stuff, but you can't. I just can't see him winning a Ballon d'Or at the moment. You know? No, not for me, not the minute. For me, the big, the big thing with a the Ballon d'Or these days is more about what 
you win as a player in terms of the club. If City were turn around in five years' time, they ended up, say, winning the treble, for example, then yeah, you'd be right up there. But you have to win that. They have to win that Champions League these days. Obviously, we've seen Messi be robbed of Ballon d'Ors because he didn't win the Champions League, for example. And I think the likes of Haaland and Mbappe, when they get their big moves to these Real Madrids and Barca's and Bayern, they could easily go on to win those Champions Leagues over and over again, giving them those Ballon d'Ors. I think yeah, it's I... a really interesting point, to be fair, Hiron. I think, obviously, as a United fan, we've got some good young talent coming through. Obviously, Mason Green was the one who... I did say I think will win the Ballon d'Or one day in his career. I think he's got. <laughs> do you everything. still back that? I, I do. Unfortunately for him, he'll probably stay at United for the rest of his career. And as I said earlier, <laughs> it's all about what the club wins these days. And yeah, are we in a position to win the Champions League in the next ten years? Realistically, probably not. Um, so I think that could, that could hinder him. But he's he's got everything. Everything. I mean, the, the likes of Rashford as well for me. Obviously, there's a lot of talk that. Rashford is number one priority for Barca and Real at the moment, which you know, believe what you want, but I think they're both, Rashford and Greenwood, both brilliant players, but I think the fact that they will remain loyal to United might actually hinder their chances of winning the Ballon d'Or, whereas Foden, even at City, if they do go on to win the Champions League, which, I mean, they should have done the last five years, how you haven't won the Champions League, I'll never know, but if he does, <laughs> as Rod mentioned, gets that move to Madrid at the right time, when if they sign a Haaland or something like that as well, and he goes on to win the Champions League for them and the league title, for example, I think it would be amazing. Um, another obviously big thing is internationally, will England yeah. win a World Cup or the Euros in the next 20 years? I mean... <sighs> You'd like to think so, but... You've got some good talent coming through, mm-hmm. but the problem is, so have France, so have Spain. You know, They've all got some good players coming through. I think you've got a yeah. decent chance. Um, obviously not with Southgate as manager. You need to get rid of him as soon yeah. as possible. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, a, it's a, good, a good point you break that he has got the talent to win a Ballon d'Or. But unfortunately these days, it's more about what yeah. the club wins. And if the City don't win the Champions League, then he's got no chance. That's what I'd agree with. I think there's no doubting he's got the talent. He's almost undoubtedly going to be one of England's best players you know, when he when he reaches his prime, there's not many who will be able to compete with him. Yeah, maybe Rashford, perhaps Kane at the moment, and Grealish coming through. But I think it's the wider perspective and looking at the other players breaking through across Europe and South America. And as you say, the club he's playing for, it's whether City can really, you know, stamp their authority. And, and I think if, if he was to win it, that would really put City down as, you know, one of the greatest clubs in history, it would put him up there oh, with no. Real Madrid. It would put him up there with Man United and Bayern Munich. If he, if you could win a Ballon d'Or at City, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. I think, I think oh, the, the thing is, is, but I, I think the thing is, I think all those players that we mentioned, I, I, I think, say Holland, for example, I think he is going to win a Ballon d'Or. I, he's, he's he's got everything as well, but I think obviously these players can't win uh, the Ballon d'Or every year. I mean, Messi, Messi has been robbed of probably yeah. three or four Ballon d'Ors. But I mean, he even Messi won it in years where he didn't say win the Champions League, for example. So and, then he and did score they, 90 goals in a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think he, yeah, obviously he's incredible, but I think there'll be like feats that don't need to be as high to win a Ballon d'Or in the next, say, 10 years, for example, because he's not going to be around at, sort of at that time. I mean, he, he, him 
and to be fair, in terms of numbers, Ronaldo have, have set a, an, in this generation a completely ridiculous um, expectation of what you need to do to win these awards. But I mean, you look at players like Modric, who won it. Um, Never should have won it. I mean, I mean, Messi should have won it again in that year, but he won it and he had a great year with Real Madrid. Brilliant year and Croatia as well. So I, I, I understood it, but I, 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 I just think he's got everything everything to do and I think City he's going to stay at City in my opinion he loves the club he's been with us since he was probably 10 or something like that Stockport and Iniesta um, I, I think he's got absolutely everything and with City being the club they are at the minute I think they're always looking long term they're never looking at say buying players at 28, 29 um, just for immediate success they're always building for the future and our team in theory should always be getting better every year. So I think he's got every chance to win, say, a Champions League at City. In terms of England, I think with all the other players that are getting better here as well, get rid of Southgate, hopefully, get a better manager. And uh, even if we, say, get to a final of a Euros or a World Cup, for example, maybe we don't win it, but if he has a good competition in one of those, that could uh, improve his chances as well. I think I'm going I'm going to agree with the sentiment, Tyron. Yeah. I don't think I can agree with the opinion, unfortunately. I think the defining factor for me is something that Dawes mentioned, that if the likes of Rashford or even Kane Grealish was to go to Real Madrid and, and win the quadruple, then I think they will be the first player to win it. And I think maybe uh, further down the line, if Foden could stay at City and City could build something over the next five, six years, it's, it's possible he could, but... I think uh, I have to disagree with the, the fact that he'll be the first player to win it. But uh, yeah, I, I can certainly see where you're coming from, and I agree. He he will be one of the the best players of the next generation. Yeah, yeah. I th- I, to be fair, Haran, you made some very very good points. I think Foden is going to be world class and one of the best players in the world. But it 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 comes down to the club he plays for. I'm afraid, you know, you know what Perez is like at Real Madrid. He's got so much sort of say I guess in the awards I mean Modric won that award basically because Perez wanted him to you know just have a go at Ronaldo for leaving it's, and when it comes to that sort of politics at the top end of football being a Man City who with no disrespect to City obviously you've got long history but prior to sort of 2008 when he, when obviously the, the money came in you weren't one of the biggest clubs in Europe you weren't like a United Liverpool Bayern no, one of no, of the staple names and FIFA like giving awards to players that who are at the biggest clubs, and if Foden stays at City, I can't, I can't see him winning it. Um, but he, he'll definitely have the talent. But unfortunately, the way the awards work these days, he has to be a Real Madrid or a Barca or something like that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to do the same as mid there and think I can see where you're coming from, and you do make a lot of good points. I think he'll have the talent to win the Ballon d'Or, but I, I just don't think he will, unfortunately. But it was a good opinion, Fidu, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I sort of echo the sentiments of uh, Owen and Dawes. Uh, partially as well, I disagree because I just can't see an English player winning it anytime soon. I just think there's sort of potentially better talents emerging in other nations. For example, the Mbappes, the Haalands, um, and Ansu Fati as well playing at Barca. He's he's been looking phenomenal for them. I think all of those players have a higher chance of winning a Ballon d'Or before him. Um, one player we haven't even mentioned is Jaden Sancho, who's obviously had a poor season, 
I think he he could be up there to win a Ballon d'Or if he re- rediscovers his form before Foden. Um, so for that reason, I disagree. Fair play, yeah, Hiron. I think that I feel feel bad for you there because we we rinsed you, but I think Foden, like I said, there's no doubt he's going to be world class, but. There's something about English players winning these awards which just doesn't seem to ring true, does it? Michael Owen. <laughs> no, I mean that, he was he was the last one, Michael Owen. Yeah, yeah he was. Owen, Keegan, a few decades, I think one, two, or three, and Charlton, and then uh, well, I think one, one other won it as well. But um, it's very rare for it to happen. Yeah, it's not been many. Yeah, it's not not been many. But I, I I'm going to back my boy. I think he's going to do it. He might not, but he's certainly going to be. Uh, up there in the discussions, I think. So, no, fair enough. I respect uh, respect those opinions. And we'll I suppose have to see what happens in the next 10 years or so, eh? <laughs> yeah, we'll wait and see. I certainly hope he wins one, but who, who knows? We'll wait and see. Um, yep. well, m- moving on then to another famous part of the show, the, the Dawsey Challenge section, where uh, Matthew Dawes presents us a sort of a, an 11 challenge. Pick, pick your 11 challenge with some twist uh, what what we have in the past we've had sort of like world cup winners and picking um the best premier league players but what, what have you got for us this week door something uh, about the uh, the decades of history i understand yeah so i thought as it's our last episode i thought we could decide on as a sort of quartet on what is the best era of football um so i've got four sort of eras which i've sort of broken down to 1930 to 1969 1970 to 1989, 1990 to 2009, and then 2010 to the present day. And I thought we could do is sort of break up the team into goalkeeper, defence, midfield and attack and give an era to each of those positions. Um, And because there's four of us, it works out that all of us can have a different era for each different position. Um, And then we'll combine at the end and sort of say, what is the best era of football? Um, So I don't know who wants to go first, whether it's you, Rod, if you want to go first. Yeah, I can go first. Nice one. So start starting with the goalkeeper. I had the sort of nineteen thirty to nineteen sixty nine generation. Nice. And I've I've gone for Lev Yashin in goal. I gotta say, there can only be one. Man. Yeah, I, I sort of I started looking through the options, and then I saw his name, and I was like, well, that's that's it sorted, really. Yeah. <laughs> and I, he's the only keeper to have won the Ballon d'Or, and he has a hundred and fifty. Penalty saves. Wow. That's a joke. That's a joke, really. Um, yeah, like the amount of players he's living in the head of rent free, really, with that many penalty saves is a joke. That's incredible. Is he, is he counting friendlies and uh, kickbacks on the park? I don't know the exact sort of um, details of that stat, but you know, I, I'm presuming it's counting official things because he. He did play a number of years um, in the in the sort of Soviet Union league and for the national team. So I maybe it was a very pen friend, pen happy league, like the Premier's <laughs> yeah, at the moment. <laughs> Certainly more pens than usual, except maybe not more than the Premier League this season. Yeah. But yeah, um, and then we move on to my defence, which I had the 2010 to present uh, generation for. And so at left back, I've gone for Marcelo. You know, I think we can all appreciate just how good he was for Real Madrid. Um, 
I've there. It, it's a very La Liga themed defence. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a centre back partnership of Sergio Ramos and Varane, mainly for oh, that. Wow. Okay. Their Champions League exploits and Varane for that sort of 2018 World Cup, where I just thought he was phenomenal, really. Mm-hmm. And then at right back, I've gone for Dani Alves. Um, yeah, I considered Lam, but you know, Dani Alves for sort of his link up with Messi just yeah, pipped it for me. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to my midfield, which I had the 1990 to 2009 generation. So I've uh, I have I didn't say this at the start, but I've sort of gone for a four four two. Okay, the classic. Um, so I've got a sort of uh, central players. I've gone for Makaleli to provide that that defence defensive colour yeah. to allow Zinedine Zidane to do <laughs> some roaming. Uh, yeah, Makaleli he revolutionised the role, and it's been named that that kind of role has been named after him for his sort of workhorse engine style there and then as my two sort of wider players i've gone for ronaldinho and thierry Henry. <laughs> you know um yeah the these two players have they were both absolutely sensational i'm sure i don't need to list list what they both achieved but you know Henri had that uh 0203 season where he broke the assist record and won the golden boot which is yeah, I, how he didn't win the Ballon d'Or that year is a joke. <laughs> and Ned then, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, Ned Fed. Oh, yeah, we talk about why Phil Foden won't win the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you look back at some of the players that have won yeah. it, for others, that's your reason. And then up top, I've gone for a pairing of Johan Cruyff and Van Basten. The Dutch hero. So, yeah, so I've... In my opinion, it's a very strong team. I've tried to keep it a bit more balanced. The midfield is a bit <laughs> questionable. I sort of, I did have Pirlo in there. Oh, wow, I, yeah. switched, I switched him out this morning for Makalelo just because I knew I needed a bit more defensive cover in there. Baldini's going to be a busy boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair dues, mate. Fair dues, a great team. I knew whoever got your generation of midfield would have a field day. Uh, there's there's so many you've yeah, yeah, you so many. That it was, yeah. I would have found it probably too tough to make a midfield from your choices. No, there, it was it was so tough. You know, like the players I was leaving on the sidelines was a joke, really. Um, but I'm 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 happy with where I got to. Um, but yeah, what what I, it's a very strong team. So, yeah. I think that midfield is just ridiculous, and that's really pushes. It changed my mind actually to what the best generation was is going to be because that is just that is just such it's a crazy, good midfield. It? Yeah. it doesn't, yeah, nothing compares really. Yeah, fair dues, Rob. Very good team. Right, mid. You want to go next? Yeah. Um. So for my goalkeeper, I had the 2010 to present generation, and this one was actually quite difficult because. I kind of, you know, the immediate Manuel Neuer, Gianluigi Buffon jumped to mind, but I thought maybe they were more of the previous generation. So I discounted them. And then the next person to come to my head was David De Gea. And, and again, I thought, well, you know, he only really became to the top of his game in the sort of later half of the, of the last 10 years. So I've actually gone for Hugo Lloris. Um, oh, because no. I, because I feel, no. You can't he be doing his, that. He had his real de- development at, at 
you know, the sort of latter wow. half of the other noughties and has been in his prime for the past eight, nine years now. And combined with the, the World Cup win, I think that in, installs him as, as the best over the course of the wow. 10 years. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he was the best at all points in those 10 years, but I think across the decade, he's, he's my number one. Wow. I wasn't his goalkeeper that uh, gave France the World Cup, I tell you that much. No, he was awful in that he final. Was captain, though. He was the captain. He was. He was the captain. I think he, he, he did enough for me to, to uh, deserve it. Um, on to my defence. I've gone for a, um, a a three-five-two formation with sort of attacking wing backs, if you like. Um, so I've just got a, a sort of back three of defenders here. Um, in the centre, I've got a sweeper of Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, oh, this is the nineteen seventy to eighty-nine era, by the way. Yeah. Um, obviously, Beckenbauer. He really was someone who made the sweeper role his own. You know, he's got ridiculous trophy cabinet. Uh, and is one of only three people to have lifted the World Cup as a player and a manager. So that installed him immediately at Not the centre of my defence. Uh, either side of him, I've got, well, on one side, I've got a Dorsey favourite in Lothar Mateus. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I think he made into about all of Dorsey's 11s back in uh, March and April when we were doing it last time. Obviously, he won the World Cup uh, in 1990. And he holds the record for the most matches played by a single player in, in World Cup history. Um, on the other side, I've, I've got a little bit of an interesting choice. You boys may not have heard of him. His name's uh, Anatoly Demenenko. Um, he's probably the greatest Ukrainian player ever to grace a football pitch. And he's got a ridiculous record for, for the Soviet Union. I think he's the fourth or fifth highest uh, ever cap holder. And really, you know, uh, as you were saying about the goalkeeper earlier, Rod, was one of those stars of the, the Soviet League. Um, throughout the mid 20th century, I think he's someone that's overlooked a lot by the, uh, the 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 media in terms of greatest defenders in history. Yeah, fair. It's good back. Um, yeah, moving to the midfield, I had 1930 to 69, and I think, well, this this originally before Rod's team was the one that was going to have my vote for the greatest era ever. I think partly because you gave it 40 years, doors, so there's like lots of yeah, good yeah, players, a lot, a lot of players there. Yeah. So this is why partly why I had to go for a, a five-man midfield because <laughs> I, I couldn't fit them in. It was ridiculous. So I've gone for sort of um, two two central midfielders um, of Bobby Charlton and <gasps> the high the higher end favourite in Jose Leandro Andrade. Yes. <laughs> and Andrade just about fit in because he he actually retired in 1935. And he was really more of a 1920s player, but uh, <laughs> obviously winning the World Cup in, in 1930, really being the star of, of that tournament. He he was the sort of the Pele before Pele, the Messi before Messi. He was, you know, the first global superstar of football. I, I think he had to go in there. Um, just ahead of them, I've got uh, Juve Sela. Uh, obviously won the World Cup in 72, runner-up in 66, and a ridiculous uh, goal tally for Hamburg. I think he scored over 400 goals for Hamburg, actually, in, in not many more games. He's got like, you know, 0.9 goals per game or something silly. Um, so he had to go straight in the team. Um, and then in the in the wide positions, I've got uh, Garincha on the right. Oh. Obviously, you know, Pe- Pele's main man in terms of assists and two World Cup medals himself. Um he, I think he was the first player to, com- to get the golden turkey, as it's called, the... Yeah. Uh, 
the golden boot, the golden ball, and the gold medal at the same World Cup tournament. And he was really the, the charismatic player in that midfield um, of, of Brazil in the mid-20th century. Uh, and on the other side, I've gone for Alfredo Di Stefano. Probably no more as a striker, but really could play anywhere on the pitch. And I think he would do a job out wide for me. Really good young talent that developed in Argentina and became one of Real Madrid's greatest players of all time, really. And an interesting fact for you boys here, he actually played internationally for Argentina, Colombia and Spain. <laughs> so I can't think of many other players who played for three different international wow. uh, nations. Um, but yeah, that's that's my midfield. And I think that's uh, Ridiculous. initially my vote for the best uh, era. Uh, moving on to my forward line, then I had uh, 1990 to 2009. I initially thought, well, maybe it'd be dominated by Man United players. You know, I'd have Wayne Rooney in there or something. But then I thought again and thought, well, actually, I have to have Alan Shearer in there, don't I? Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, true. Uh, huh? as uh, it wouldn't be a, a mid 11 without uh, Alan Shearer. So <laughs> he, he goes straight up top. Obviously, the Premier League's highest ever goal scorer. And, uh, he plays alongside the original Ronaldo, Fat Ronaldo, R9 Ronaldo, whatever you want to the call him. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the better Ronaldo of the two. Uh, two, two World Cups and, and a runners-up medal. 62 goals in 98 for Brazil. A Ballon d'Or age 21. Um, I mean, it's a shame his career took a slide in this into the uh, yeah. 21st century, really. But uh, I think that's a really strong start, uh, striking lineup there, and we'll definitely get plenty of goals between them. Fair play. Hell of a team, mate. Fair play. Right, Hiron, mate. Let's have a look at yours. Yeah, let's go for it. So, uh, I've gone for 4 3 3 as well. Um, seems to like sort of fit nicely with my team, I think. And my goalkeeper was part of the 1990 to 2009 generation. Okay. And I think what better goalkeeper to put in there than I think uh, Gianluigi Buffon? I think yeah. absolutely yeah, incredible be. for. Italy. I, I know, Mid, obviously, you said he, he could have, he, to be fair, I think he could have even made it potentially in your team, but but there yeah, are I other choices. It, I thought he was more your generation. Definitely more my generation, yeah. And um, I mean, there are some great goalkeepers that do miss out, like Schmeichel and even Van der Sar, uh, to, to list Nip, which yeah. a few, but Buffon, just simply incredible in that, in that era, uh, one of the best ever. So, had to be in there. Uh, then the defence was from 1930 to 1969. So I, there, there are two Brazilian fullbacks I always fall back to, which I think were um, brilliant. Both with the surname Santos, on the left being Nilton, on the right being Djalma. Um I think they they both, in their own right, defined the sort of attacking fullback roles, and both played their big parts in the. Brazil's wins in the World Cups in 1958-1962. Both really staple names in those sides. So they they both had to be in there for me. I mean, both uh, were good in defence as well. But I think the real ones that started to show what a fullback could do in an attacking sense. Uh, Then had to be Bobby Moore in the centre for me. Absolutely incredible for West Ham and um, and England. And is one of the sort of the world-proclaimed centre-backs. Uh, of all time so I had to put him in there I also had to put in uh, Billy McNeil as well for Scotland and for Celtic because I think I I found it quite difficult to find um, 
too many shining centre backs, but I suppose really he was he was probably one of them. His success uh, as part of the Lisbon Lions with Celtic, uh, and even Scotland uh, sort of in those days were like quite a good side as well. So had to be in there for me, and I think would provide a would basically be part of a great back four. Uh, then the midfield, my generation was 1970 to 1989. So I I, w- I wouldn't say this generation was blessed with loads of world-renowned midfielders i find uh, it really hard as well it was hard for my defense in that that uh, period yeah i i think there are certain certain generations work out for certain positions and some less so maybe but yeah. um there's a two more brazilians in the midfield one of them being uh gerson uh yeah. for brazil uh cdm uh was essentially the brain for uh the Brazil 1970 side, which won. Maybe you could argue that a lot of his career was probably more in the 60s, and so it's you you could probably put him maybe more in there. But I think the given they they won the World Cup in 1970, and he was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was just able to squeeze Gerson in there because I I was struggling for uh, many C, good CDMs to put in there. Ahead of him was another Brazilian, uh, Socrates. Yeah, uh, he was also. Yeah. Brilliant for them as well, I think, in 1982. And was their captain there as well. Appeared in the... Was big for them in Copa America as well. Never actually won anything much Brazil in that time. Uh, so he did miss out on quite a lot of um, sort of accolades and stuff. But he was still always one of the top players in that Brazil side at that time. Scored plenty of goals from the midfield. And I think he'd be more of your sort of box-to-box midfielder, which I think would help in the sort of defensive attributes of the game, but also provide those real moments of quality as well. Um, but I think the easiest choice for me in this midfield had to be Patini yeah. for France and also for Juventus as well. He was, um, I think, a big reason behind France winning. Is it 1986? I can't, I can't remember which year. But he was, uh, I mean, one of the top players. I think he probably got a few Ballon d'Ors as well and, and just I think one of those players that you hear from our sort of previous generations and dads and stuff yeah. that was top class. So class I'd as a put... player, just a shame he's corrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, got to try try ignore that aspect of it. At least I'm not voting <laughs> for uh, nice guys and non-corrupt <laughs> players. That's a good thing. But I, I, as a footballer, had had to be in there for me. Uh, then we've got the attack. 2010 the present and i was absolutely blessed to have this uh generation <laughs> of you can probably guess i uh, two of the three yeah. um, <laughs> i'm gonna put ronaldo on the left yeah i'm gonna put messi on the right and then i think one that doors will definitely agree with me for this one many great strikers of this generation sergio aguero uh Lewandowski, brilliant players but for me had to be Luis Suarez absolutely incredible for most of this decade brilliant at Liverpool uh almost won them the title when to be fair they didn't have a brilliant team their defense was shocker um but then at Barcelona he he he's shown in the Barcelona side at times where it had Messi and Neymar like (laughs) I I think that deserves credit itself. Again, as a personality, don't like him. I really don't like the man. Um, 
But that's why I'm I'm glad we're not voting for nice guys and <laughs> corrupt and biters and things like that. But as a, I as didn't a, go for Aguero hiring. I thought he'd be first in the team sheet. He, I, I wanted to, and he was so close. But I think when you simply look at what Suarez has achieved in his career and just just his all-round play, I just think edges Aguero for me. Aguero could have easily have got it, but... Suarez, absolutely ridiculous in my yeah. opinion. Maybe if Aguero played at Barcelona where he did, maybe he could have done what he did or, or whatever. It's, it's hard to say. argument again, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But for me, Suarez, for at least eight of the eight of the ten years, absolutely world class. So I, I'm really happy with this team. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Ivan. Fair nice play. Team. Very, very good team, mate. Very I'm excited team. to hear yours now, Dawes. You've got lots to live up to, I think. Yeah, I do. I do. And <laughs> my sort of best generations might have changed, actually, along with your boys as well. Because I'm looking at my team here, and there's one generation that's just unbelievable. But we'll start off with a goalkeeper. So I had the 1970 to 1989. Um, and so I went for Dino Zoff. Had to be. <laughs> the World Cup winner in <laughs> As captain for Italy, six league titles with Juventus. I mean, it was only... I mean, I... I, I Considered Gord, squeezing, squeezing Gordon Banks into that era, but I think he was more in the previous one. But yeah, it had, it had to be off. Um, my defence from 1990 to 2009. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Fullback, right back. I've got Cafu. I mean, two-time <laughs> World Cup winner, captain in 02. Obviously, won the Champions League with AC Milan too. Left back, another Brazilian, Roberto Carlos. I mean, <laughs> three Champions Leagues at Real Madrid. I mean. You don't have to say anything about Roberto Carlos. And then my centre-back partnership of two Italians, one of them being Fabio Cannavaro, obviously the, oh. the Ballon d'Or winner in 06. Stop uh, it. And, <laughs> and that team, they only conceded two goals all tournament, both of them from penalties. So they didn't actually see from open play all tournament. And then the other one, the best defender in the history of football for me, in Paolo Maldini. I mean, sure. what more can you say? <laughs> Four Champions Leagues in this era... Played, obviously, he played a lot of career at left-back, but for me, he was always better at centre-back. And What more can you say about that back four? Italians at, at centre-back and then the flair of the Brazilians at full-back. Oh, Sensational. God. I think this generation is quickly becoming my favourite. It's favorite. ridiculous. Yeah. Right? It, it was my favourite guy again. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I've left, I've left out the likes of Nesta and stuff like that. I could have, I could have had <laughs> 10 Italians, but I went for Maldini and Cannavaro because they were just special players. Um, moving into the midfield, I had 2010 to the present day. Um, I've gone for a 4-3-3, so as my holding midfielder, I've gone for Sergio Busquets. Um, yeah. For me, one of the most underrated players in the history of football. He's a vital part of that Barcelona team and that Spain team in the 2010 World Cup and 2012 Euros. I think one of the, one of the best players ever, for sure. Um, next to him, I've got his Barcelona teammate in Andreas Iniesta. What more can you say oh, about oh, that man? Oh. Man of the match in the 2010 World Cup final. All those Champions Leagues with Barca, and well, he's a magician. It's as simple as that. And I think for me, he's in the top five midfielders ever. He just has to be. Um, and then the other centre mid was such a tough decision. I could have just put Xavi in there and completed this Barcelona trident, but for me, Xavi was more his prime was sort of 08, 09, so it was yeah, just great. Part of this category. So it was between the two Real Madrid centre halves of Cruz and Modric. Um, and I actually went with Tony Cruz in the end. Because I think everything he did at Bayern and sort of won the Champions League in 2013 and then winning the World Cup as well with Germany before his move to, to Real Madrid for only 25 million euros. I mean, for me, that's one of the best signings in the history of football. Um, yeah. 
and even to this day, Cruz is still still class. He was brilliant last season when they won the league. Modric so unlucky to miss out, obviously with with the Ballon d'Or win. But I think having Cruz alongside Iniesta and Busquets, that's just ridiculous. That's a joke. And then Fair. in the the the, the attacking three, I had so many options here. I went obviously had the nineteen thirty to nineteen sixty nine. Um, on my left hand side, I've got Georgie Best. I mean, what more can you say? Probably yeah. a bit of United bias there, but won the Ballon d'Or in '68 alongside the European Cup. One of the best players ever. It's as simple as that. An absolute magician with the ball. And is he? For me, he's probably Britain's best ever player. I guess he's up there, maybe top three um, for sure. In his peak, um, I'd say definitely you know, the top player. Absolute joke of a player. Um, on the right side, I've actually got Garincha as well, as, as Mid said, two-time World Cup oh, winner, and for me. He was more important than Pele in the first two Brazil wins um, in 58 and 62, especially in 62 where Pele got injured and he sort of had to take that take that stride. And as Mid mentioned earlier, he's actually the only player to ever do the, the golden turkey, as they call it. Um, he's, he's a ridiculous player and has loads of stands and stuff named after him in Brazil. And he's basically one of the best players ever. And then as my centre forward, obviously I had, I've, I've had about five or six options. Obviously Di Stefano could have had, but... Puskas as well, another another a mention. Um, and Pele himself I could have gone for, but I actually went with Eusebio. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's great show. I think yeah. top goal scorer in the 66 World Cup. I mean, his record, 733 goals in 745 games. I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. And I think he's always, obviously considered as one of the best, but he's obviously overshadowed by the likes of Pele and stuff. But for me, he's He's honestly unbelievable. Um, Ballon d'Or winner as well. I just think Eusebio complements the team so well with having Best and Grinch on, on either side of him. So that's my team, boys. It was uh, ridiculous. <laughs> God, I, th- I think you've got the best one there, mate. That's that's a joke. That defensive midfield for me are just unreal. And even that attack is class as well. It's not bad. Yeah, I think Do- Dorsey's team is the strongest for me. That back yeah. four for me, I don't see how you can score against that. It's just ridiculous. What are you going to do against that? It's just ridiculous. You, you read it out, mate, and I was crying. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> you have six farmers in the rest of the team, and they, you still wouldn't score. You could, yeah. Yeah. That back four is just... And the players I left out as well. I could have had Desai in there. I could have had Nestor. But <laughs> I think for me, this era really stood out when I was doing this. Obviously, the 2010s is defined by Messi and Ronaldo and that Barcelona team. So they've got some brilliant players. But in terms of overall quality, I think between 1990 and 2009, that's just the pinnacle of football for me. I've got to agree with you there, yeah. Dawes. And hearing, you know, hearing yeah. your voice of Zidane and Ronaldinho and all that, so it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, would, that, that combined team, if we took each of our 1990 to 2009s, would just be a joke, really. It'd be scandalous. It would be scandalous. God. I think, yeah. Yeah, who had the goalkeeper for that, Jen? Buffon. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, of course. Had, yeah. Buffon. Oh, the front. Oh, dearie me. Yeah, he's fed in by Zidane, Ronaldinho and Henri. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, and to Take be fair, me back, boys. Take me back. To be fair, the 1930s to the 1969, there's some amazing players back then, especially sort yeah, of... That's a good yeah. era. Good it's era. such a good era of players. 
you know, obviously, unfortunately, a lot of it wasn't as telephone. We haven't got the coverage that we did, that we do these days on Sky. So it's quite hard to find, like, the amazing footage of those. But Yeah, you just wish it was fully covered. It would I'm be very, honestly amazing. I was very happy with uh, with Mod's choice of uh, Jose Leandro and Rade, because I, I, I got a lot of stick for that one, but I'm glad that someone else has actually used it. I did it for the old times, so yeah. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had to be in there, mate. It was the, the, f- yeah. the first superstar of football. <laughs> yeah, he's class. Well, that was, that was a great challenge, Doors, fair play. Yeah, world class, that one. Probably the best one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's been one of my favourites. Yeah, and uh, make sure, if you're uh, listening at home, to go back to our podcast in April and May time and listen through some old Doorsy challenges because there's some really good ones out there. I think we even managed to get Malcolm Doors on the uh, Dawsey's father. I was say, mate. Moving on <laughs> to, to join in with, with one of the one of the challenges and uh, yeah, real highlight of the podcast over over the last year or so. Um, yeah, talking about highlights of of the show. What what have you boys got? Obviously, we've been doing this now for nearly three years. What 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 if your uh, what your top memories from whether when we were in the studio at Bath or maybe we were, when we were under the cover at uh, at Five Lop? What 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 goes up there for well, you? Funnily enough, mate, one of my favourite memories was actually getting getting my dad on for one of the Dorsey challenges and just that experience of being under under the sheets in Five Lop and getting getting my dad on the call to sort of I think we did World World Cup winners before 1980 and previously something like that, wasn't it? Obviously, he's a Pele merchant, so it was quite funny to rinse him about that. But yeah, it, it was, <laughs> that was one of the standout moments for me. And obviously, <laughs> when he first brought this up, all I thought of was when we just rinsed Hyrin. So I've got <laughs> yeah, I've got a few of those. <laughs> I think it was. I think I raised the point that the oil money, oil prices dropped or something, and City were in trouble, and it led to like a twenty-minute debate. And Scott got so eaten, it was so funny. <laughs> it was back in April, so it was so good. Um, and then the second one was Hiron thinking that Aston Villa. Yeah, that was one of my down the road from I was about to say, Oh, that was one of my favourite moments. The Aston Villa one. It was. He seemed to think that Aston Villa fans had to like go the opposite way around the globe or something <laughs> to the City fans. I I, I like, still back my claims. It's like it's like forty minutes difference on the train, Scott. <laughs> that was so. Hi, and you got any top moments? Um, I mean, I, I like to call it in from the Etihad. I thought that brought a real. Um, I almost felt like a reporter doing that. Almost, it felt it felt really cool to cool to be able to call from outside the Etihad. So that was my. That was one of our first phone-ins. I think it was like maybe the second or third ever phone-in where we had you at the Etihad phoning in, and you, like you say, it was like a real. Roving reporter job. It, it was, yeah, because I think I, 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 that was about within the hour of uh, the game kicking off. I'd line up and what my opinions of the match that night. Like it, it, it felt like a proper experience. It was really good. Not like not that the rest of it hasn't, but it'd be nice to have seen the uh, like say Roddy outside the Emirates or United or Doors <laughs> outside uh, Old Trafford as well in class. <laughs> but um, I, I think that I, I think a real a, a down moment in in my sort of time especially being a city fan was that ironically or not uh valentine's day where that um where uefa said we're gonna get banned for two years and my <laughs> initial my initial shock that day because i think we did a football podcast that day as well and i was absolute mess that day i was just like what is going on i felt <laughs> ab- i felt absolutely in bits that day so i'm glad that obviously uh the cast was a success and uh 
but I, but I remember that day and but that podcast being quite difficult for me to be fair I, I i didn't really know what to to say or do apart from be like well doesn't look good from here <laughs> sounds awful mate i didn't realize it's that bad it, it's grim mate. it's grim I, like it, 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 it would have been the damage long term which would have killed us you think we're banned we're banned from the champions league for two years what players gonna want to come to city then yeah. and what players that we do have are gonna want to stay after getting banned when say kevin de bruyne is should be playing in the Champions League week in, week out. Well, not week in, week out, but you know what I mean. Like, that that week was, well, yeah, as a City fan, was very difficult. And so was that Any podcast. Any other highlights probably. for you, Rod? Yeah, um, some, some of the phone-ins have just been some of my favourites. Just sort of people calling up with, like, I think Kerry and Gareth called oh, up at one point. That was, that was terrible. That was memorable for all the wrong reasons. They were... <laughs> I don't know if they'd been drinking or something, but the stuff they were coming out with about Messi was just, it was so ludicrous, it was entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> the phone uh, was fast, to be fair. I think one of your mates mid, I think he's a Cardiff fan, and he was going to the Millwall game away. Yeah, he was coming yeah, was with absolute magic. <laughs> it was magic. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because you're so easy to rinse when they're a Cardiff fan. <laughs> Actually, it's a bad club. Uh, <laughs> that was easy. Oh, yeah, some of my top moments, it got, it's got to come right down to the phone-ins. I think, I was trying to think what the very first phone-in was, and I think it was when you, Doors, were on your way to Dublin with Palmer Ross. I think it was, yeah, it was. <laughs> and you, you, were, you were on the bus to Bristol Airport, and I was like, we need to do the phone-in, and you were phone-in, and in the background I could hear, like, <laughs> Next stop is Bristol. You know, <laughs> I can't remember what we talked about, but I, I remember sort of being sat in the studio and having you on the phone and just not really knowing what was going on. It's absolutely hilarious. That was, so that was top draw. That <laughs> that was only like the third episode we did. I think was it. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, early, early days. That as uh, yeah, there's been plenty of good moments, haven't there? And uh, it's, it's been a good experience to to be a part of and. Obviously, the, the the dream of second year when we said we or maybe placement year where we said we should do it and, and happened, fair yeah. enough, it actually happened, yeah. And to bring it round with the um, SRO nomination to finish yeah, it off as well. That was a great way, great way to end yeah. it. Yeah, we were robbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't get the award, but I take the nomination. Yeah, back. The no, no, to get a nomination is still, I'm, I'm still very proud. Just a shame we're going to be in London again. Yeah, yeah. at the O2. Yeah. off the free bar <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much boys for being a part of the podcast and the radio show over the last few years it really has been an incredible journey and I'm sure we'll be back again with some other kind of show or new podcast in the future I know higher and you're going to be carrying on your journalism work traveling around the globe I'm sure <laughs> yeah I yeah, hope so hope so yeah. Dor- Dorsey will be uh, doing the the Port Authority local radio <laughs> 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 and Roddy, I'm sure you'll you'll be covering some F1 or something in the future. I can see it. <laughs> no, and before we go, mid, I just want to say like massive thanks for, to you for sort of hosting this. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, getting it all organised, and it's been it's been, a, it's been a hell of a journey these last three years. Fear these boys. It's been a cheers, lads. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it so much. So I, it does it doesn't feel like a chore at all. No, <laughs> good, good, mate, good. Well, yeah, thanks very much to you at home as well for listening. Um, over the last few years it's, as I say it's been a real journey and you've been a part of it too and that brings us to one last time to say this has been They Think It's All Over and it is now 
they think it's all over. It is now.